We're going to continue on in our series. Last week, we started with this series called Walking in the Spirit. Um, and we just kind of laid out this concept of that we are supposed to walk in the Spirit day to day, live our life with the Holy Spirit. We talked a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is. You know, we talked about how we talk about God the Father and God the Son is him, but the Holy Spirit is it, which is just kind of a funny thing, you know. Um, We talked about uh, the purpose of the Holy Spirit and why Jesus said it was so important uh, for us to shake it, uh, to chase it, I mean. And um, I I, want to just encourage you uh, today, we're going to continue to kind of look through this, and I want to just give one more kind of piece of of background as we dive into what this looks like every day, but just one of the reasons why we know it's so important, one of the reasons why we know it's so biblical, and one of the reasons why I believe, one of the most potent reasons why I believe that the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit did not cease with the first generation. It did not cease with the, the apostles, but it's continued to today. All right, we're going to actually talk through a little bit today through the Old Testament. I'm, we're going to preach out of my favorite verses on the Holy Spirit in Leviticus chapter 23. Um, uh, most people don't think of Leviticus when they think of the Holy Spirit, um, but that's where we're going to be today. We're going to hit a couple of different things, but I want you to see, and I want you to just think for a moment, right, about the Old Testament, and I want you to think about the Spirit of God moving in the Old Testament. Right? Like sometimes we think of this as just a New Testament thing, right? And I will say, I do believe that, that what happened um, after Jesus uh, died and rose and then ascended into heaven, um, I believe that, that in God's holy design, it was designed to change. And it was designed to stop being moments and start being lifestyles. All right? I, I absolutely believe that because of what I see in Leviticus. But the Holy Spirit was present and active in the Old, in the Old Testament. I want you to, I'm going to just rapid fire through a few things here, all right? I, I'm just going to just go through. So the Holy Spirit participated in creation. We see that in Genesis 1-2, Job 26-13, and Isaiah 32-15. The Spirit gives life to humanity and other creatures in Psalm 104-29, verse 30. Um, uh, it's uh, the word breath in Genesis 27 when God said he breathed into them is translated everywhere else in the Old Testament as spirit. God put spirit into man, right? Um, in, in those things, we see that in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. The spirit strives with sinners, Genesis 6 3. What that talks about is God is convicting us even then of sin through that. We talked about that last week. You see it related in John chapter 16 verses 8 through 11. The spirit came upon certain judges, warriors, and prophets in a way that gave them amazing power and insight, right? You can see that in Joshua, in Othniel, in Gideon, in Samson, in Saul. Um, although we also see the Spirit depart from Saul because of his disobedience later. I, I, it's amazing to me. One of the most amazing things, one of the things that gives me most hope about being a Christian today is just who God used and empowered by his Spirit in the Old Testament. Listen, I'm not trying to disparage anybody. A lot of those people did some amazing things, but the most flawed humans maybe ever recorded did the most amazing things through the Spirit of God in the Old Testament. Like, look no further than Samson, right? You want to talk about a flawed joker? Holy cow, 
Samson is that guy. God used him to do amazing things. And he could not have been a more flawed human being. Because God's spirit isn't dependent on our perfection. God is looking for willing vessels. People who are willing to be used by him. For him. For his purpose. And you see that in the Old Testament over and over and over again. The spirit uh, played a huge role in the Old Testament prophecy. David declared that the spirit of the Lord spoke by me. His word was on my tongue. Ezekiel reported that the spirit entered me when he spoke to me. The spirit inspired holiness in Old Testament believers. We see that in Psalm 143.10. Scripture promised that someday God would put his spirit in all people, in his people in a way that would cause them to live according to what he said in Ezekiel 36. The spirit was crucial in helping God's people anticipate the coming Messiah. In Isaiah 11, one through five, you see the preview of the Trinity working together amongst people, right? Father, spirit, son. Um, You see all of these things. We see Isaiah prophesy the spirit of the Lord will rest upon um, Jesus as he comes, the chosen one, the Messiah. You see over over and over and over again, the Holy Spirit being mentioned in the, New, in the Old Testament. And yet for so many of us, when we think of the Holy Spirit, the only thing we think of is Acts 2.8. That's it. Like we limit the Holy Spirit to the book of Acts. Like if we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, well, I guess I know where to go. Open it up to Acts. Here we go. Right? Those of you who have spent a lot of time in church, 95, 98% of the messages you've heard in the baptism of the Holy Spirit come from the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is from Genesis to Revelation in the Bible. Because the Holy Spirit is not you speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit is God. Period. The Holy Spirit can empower us and baptize us so we can flow in that gift. But that is not what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. He is God. And he is cover to cover in our Bibles. Cover to cover. So today I want you to open Leviticus chapter 23. And let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Leviticus chapter 23, and let's talk about it. We're going to be in verses 15 through 22. Now, I want you to hear what we're about to talk about. We are talking about the fourth of seven feasts, right? If you came to my class on Wednesday nights last year, you got to hear a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today, all right? But the Holy Spirit is stuck squarely in these feasts. God gave seven feasts that he said are mine. There were hundreds of Jewish festivals, but there were seven that were God's. He calls them his days. They are his holy days, right? Seven of them. The first three, we see them prophetically speak out to the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can go through them and we could, if you want to talk more about that, I can point you to a book or we can sit down and we can talk about it. If you were in our class on Wednesday nights last year, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But they unbelievably point prophetically to the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. 
And then the last three feasts, the fall feasts, they are yet to be fulfilled. They speak prophetically to the end times, right? They speak to future events. They point to the rapture of the church, the judgment of sinners, and the salvation of Israel. We see that in the last seven feasts, those three fall feasts. We see why Jesus came, and we see the end of days. And right in the middle is the fourth feast. Tell me what its name is. The feast of? Weeks. Or? Pentecost. The feast of weeks and the feast of Pentecost is the same thing. Pentecost literally means 50 days. Right? Like, that's what it means. The Feast of Pentecost just means 50 days. It's where we get the name Pentecostal from because this feast was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. It's where the name comes from. It's why it's there. All the way back in Leviticus, we start reading about that day. All the way back in Leviticus chapter 23, we talk about the feast that ties the time of Jesus to the end of days. We are living in that feast. So let's read about it, okay? Prepare to be confused. (laughs) Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 through 22 say, from that day after the Sabbath, he's talking about the previous holiday, okay? From that, from that day after the Sabbath, the day the bundle of grain was lifted up as an offering, count off seven weeks. What is seven weeks? How many days is that? There we go. Good job. That wasn't trying to trick you. Seven weeks times seven days is 49, right? Um, so, so that's where we go. So keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath. So there's seven weeks, seven Sabbaths, and then one day. That gives us how many days? 50 days. You guys are so good at math. I'm really not trying to trick you, right? 50 days. That's where the name Pentecost comes from, all right? Uh, Where are we at? And bring an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves of bread to be lifted up before the Lord as an offering. These loaves must be baked from three quarters of choice flour that contains yeast. Hear that. That is strange for an offering to God. They will be an offering to the Lord from the first of your crops. Along with this bread present seven one-year-old lambs with no physical defects, one bull and two rams as burnt offerings to the Lord. Those are the, the... the national offerings. The first one was the personal one. Um, These whole burnt offerings together with the accompanying grain offerings and drink offerings will give into the Lord by fire and will be pleasing to him. Then you must offer one male goat as a sin offering and a two one-year-old male lambs as a peace offering. The priest will lift these up, uh, will lift up these offerings before the Lord together with the loaves representing the first of your later crops. These offerings are holy to the Lord and will belong to the priests. That same day you must stop all your regular work and gather for a sacred assembly. This is a permanent law for you and it must be observed wherever you live. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along with the edges of your field and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I, the Lord, am your God. It's perfectly clear of the Holy Spirit, right? Y'all got it? I can stop preaching. We're good? Let's dive in. 
Uh, yeah, I just heard I don't get it like six times. You're good. You're in good company. Okay, ready? Here we go. 50 days, two loaves, leaven. What the junk does that all mean? Why is this significant? Why am I talking about it when we're talking about life in the spirit? How can we get all this? This is all about the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church of Christ. Hear it. Hear it for what it is as we talk. The Son of God arose from the grave on the Feast of First Fruits. He spent 40 days with his disciples in post resurrection ministry. We know that from Acts chapter 1, verse 3. He informed them that it was necessary that he would go to the Father so that once and for all the Holy Spirit could come. He would send the Holy Spirit who, come, who would come alongside them to help them in his, in his absence. We talked about that last week in John chapter 14. They were commanded to stay in Jerusalem until he came. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. They waited as they were commanded. And their wait was not long and yet it probably felt forever. Ten days they waited. Ten days they waited for the Holy Spirit as they were commanded. And then it happened. The Holy Spirit came and the world has never been the same. It has never been the same. Unlike most holidays, there's no day on the calendar associated with this feast, right? It's like Thanksgiving. My kids were asking me what day Thanksgiving was, like, because they were thinking of it as Christmas, right? December 25th. No, it's the third Thursday of November, Right? Like that's, or fourth, I don't remember. Third? Tell me. There we go. Third. Thank you. There's no day associated with it. That's exactly what Pentecost is. There's no day. You count from the day of first fruits, and it's 50 days afterwards. Whatever day of the week that falls on, or whatever day of the calendar that falls on, that's the day. Right? Um, it, it is one of those things that happen. It makes, it makes 50 days after that. Pentecost is observed in late spring. Um, it's usually in late May or early June, okay? If you look at that, um, and as you go through all those things, there's all of these requirements. We read about them, these, uh, these, these loaves of bread, all of these national offerings. But for the first, for the Feast of Weeks, two loaves are to be brought to the temple, You need to hear this. You can see this as you read through scripture and you can see these things. Um, We see uh, both, we see Paul lay this out for us in Ephesians chapter two, verses 14 through 15. All right, you can go ahead and write that down, what those loaves represent. They represent the Jew and the Gentile coming together in the temple of God. There is yeast in those bread, in that bread. What does yeast represent in the Old Testament almost every time? Anyone? Sin. Both the Jew and the Gentile are sinners and they come together as offerings to God on the feast of first fruits. That is what Paul tells us. That's what he says. That's how he brings it about. That's what we know because of what he says. Jew and Gentile. How many of you in here are Jews? Anyone? Do we have any real like full on blooded Jewish people in here right now? Okay, so we're all Gentiles because you are either Jew or Gentile. We probably all have some Jewish blood in our veins somewhere along the way. It's what happens. But the Jew and the Gentile, the Jews had held themselves apart for thousands of years. 
And now God is saying it's Jew and Gentile together. Both sinners, both dependent on God, coming together is how it goes. We are now one in the Messiah. There, there is to be leaven in those loaves because we are all sinners. We are forgiven, but we are yet sinners. There's a common saying among pastors that if you find a, a perfect church, make sure you don't go because you're going to wreck it. Because we're all imperfect. There is no such thing as a perfect church yet. There will be. As long as there is one person in that church, it cannot be perfect. As long as I am here, this church will never be perfect. Because I'm here. And I hope you're here with me in all your imperfection. There is yeast in that bread. And it's such an important thing. This, this feast ties all of these feasts together. I want to give you just a little bit more history as we look at this, okay? I, I just, it's just, it's fascinating to me as you look at this. There were several scripture readings that happened on this day. They were not commanded by God. I believe the Holy Spirit inspired the priests and it became traditional readings on the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. Okay, um, that's what they did in the temple every year. They would read from a couple specific passages. Any of you have things that aren't prescribed by God that you do as traditions in your family for, for festivals, holidays? Anybody? Right, you got them? Like we order pizza on, on uh, New, not New Year's. We order pizza on Christmas Eve. That's our tradition. Mandy's family grew up poor. One day a year, they ordered pizza, and it was Christmas Eve. And it just kind of became our tradition. We order pizza a lot more than one day a year. Um, but <laughs> Christmas Eve, it's our tradition. It's not inspired by God, necessarily. It's just something we do as a family on that day, right? How many of you have a, spe a specific food on Thanksgiving that if it's not there, it's not Thanksgiving and it's not necessarily the things that everybody would normally think of as Thanksgiving foods? Anyone got that? Like your family has something and it is not like turkey and mashed potatoes, but if it's not there, it's not there. Growing up, it was pickled peas for us. Um, uh, that were Germans. My grandma pickled peas in the pod and they're amazing. You, you don't have to like it. You're weird. Um, uh, there, it was just one of those things that was on the table every single time we got together, pickled peas in the pod. It was part of our tradition. We had them on more days, but on Thanksgiving, they were always there right? There were other gross things on that table, like pickled watermelon. Who decided to pickle watermelon? Man, that, like not the rind, like the actual red part of the watermelon. <sighs> I don't know. Some people aren't right. Um, It's one of those things. It's part of it. And so on this holiday, God didn't necessarily give them these verses and say, read them. But I believe the Holy Spirit inspired the, these priests somewhere along the line to start reading them and they became part of the tradition. It was not Pentecost unless these verses got read. All right? It's part of what their tradition was. 
They would read in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 1 through 28. They would read Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 12, and Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 20 through and 3, 19. They date back to the temple. They describe the brightness of God's glory. In Ezekiel's vision, he witnessed wind, fire, and voices he couldn't identify. Then I looked, and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north. A great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it, and it radiated out of its mist like the color of amber, out of the midst of fire. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. Ezekiel chapter 1, 4 and verse 3, 12. Habakkuk saw the Lord revealed at the Messiah's coming in fire and bright lights. God came from Timon, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens. His brightness was like the light, and fever followed at his uh, fire. Sorry, fire followed at his feet. Habakkuk chapter three, verse three through five. I find it remarkable that these priests would have chosen verses read on this day, talking about hearing the wind of God, seeing fire, and hearing voices. This is just something that the Holy Spirit inspired. And it was not the Feast of Pentecost unless these verses were read at the temple. So I want you to go back with me in your mind 2,000 years, right? I want you to think back on, on this. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of first century Jews, right? As, as they're sitting there. And I want you to think about it, not from your perspective as a Christian 2,000 years later, but just try and think of it the way that a Jewish person would think of it at this time, right? They're just doing their thing. And this guy named Jesus from a backwater town that nobody cares about shows up and starts making all kinds of trouble. All kinds of trouble. The hard thing about it is, though, is he's such a convincing speaker and so many powerful miracles are happening wherever he goes that it's hard to ignore him. Crowds keep gathering. Incredible things start happening. And you just, like, he's saying things that just sit so wrong with you. Because the Messiah is a very specific thing in your mind. And this guy does not meet your expectations of what the Messiah, of what you thought the Messiah was going to be. He's not the king. He's not a great warrior. He's not wealthy. And he says that you've been doing things wrong your entire life. But it's hard to argue with him when blind people see, when dead people are raised, and when sick people walk away healed over and over again. And then you hear one day that this man actually claims to be God. Not just the Messiah, but God. And as a good, devout Jew, there is nothing more offensive to you than that. Nothing more defense or offensive to you than that. And then, not only is this guy making waves for three years, 
But then on your most sacred holidays, the days when every single Jew that can is ordered to come to Jerusalem, this guy gets there first and he rides in on a donkey and people are calling him God. They're calling him God. And then, as if that's not confused enough, everybody who runs the church the day of your, one of your most holy holidays that happen in the year, the day that you look forward to all, you've been raising a lamb in your home specifically for this day. They kill him. And that, in your mind, is the end. Because how could you kill the Messiah? Clearly, Jesus was not the Messiah. Maybe things will get back to normal now. And then as you go home, as you travel back home, you hear rumors that this Jesus, who you were confused about before, maybe he's still alive. Some people are saying that, that he rose from the dead. Some people are saying they've seen him. The priests have no idea what to do. They just say, if it's real, it's going to stick. And if it's not, it's going to go away. That's all the advice you get. So now you're just confused. And 50 days go by. It's been a month and a half since all that happened. You've gone back to work. You've raised crops. You've done those things. Your kids are a month and a half older. And now you have to travel back to Israel, to Jerusalem again, right? You have to travel back. And you're probably wondering in the back of your mind, where are his disciples? Where are they at? No one's seen them. I mean, they were around. I know his dad, I talked to him and his dad said, I don't know, I haven't seen him in 10 days. And the city of Jerusalem, just like for Passover, swells swells 10 to 15 times its normal population. It's packed to the gills. And nobody's heard of Jesus? Maybe he's not really alive. Right? Maybe he really did die and stay dead. I have no idea. His disciples, they're nowhere amongst the parties. I haven't seen John or Peter. The big mouth ones, no one's even heard of them. It's quiet. Maybe things are back to normal. And that morning you go to church at the temple because it's what you do. And you take your offering. You take those loaves of bread that you've so carefully prepared. And you hear the priests get up and read about fire and lights and voices. And then all of a sudden you hear a wind, an unmistakable wind blows through the city of Jerusalem. Everybody hears it. And there's a huge commotion that happens. And then you run over to see what's going on. And there's Jesus' disciples. And they're talking about fire. And they're talking in voices and you recognize the language of the land that you live in, and you know these are dumb people. 
They didn't just learn another language. They're not smart enough. And you hear them preaching the gospel in your own native tongue. And then Peter stands up and he starts talking about the Holy Spirit and he starts relating it to all of these verses you just heard. And you heard the wind. And they're talking about fire on their heads. And you're hearing these tongues. And the world has never, ever been the same. The world has never been the same. Acts chapter two, verses one through six say, on the day of Pentecost, seven weeks after Jesus's resurrection, the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm in the skies above them. And it filled the house where they were meeting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Godly Jews from many nations were living in Jerusalem at this time because of the Feast of Pentecost. When they heard this sound, they came running to see what it was all about and they were bewildered to hear their own languages spoken by these believers. And if you keep on reading, you see thousands of people come to Jesus on this day. And the church of Jesus Christ is born on the day of Pentecost. It was the feast that tied the death and resurrection of Jesus and the end times together. And we are living in that feast right now. Right now. Why do I not believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit ceased with the apostles? Because the other three didn't. We are still as dependent today on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as we have ever been. Those feasts did not cease in their prophetic fulfillment. Why would this one? Why would it stop? Why would it suddenly be like, well, those other three, those are good forever. But that fourth one, nope, only, only the apostles get that one. It doesn't make any sense. It's not, it's not true to all of the rest of scripture. To make it cease with the apostles' day, you've got to really twist what the Bible says. But to say it just keeps going is to say it's doing what everything else surrounding it in scripture does. Everything else in Leviticus chapter 23 it's happened and it's applicable or we're still waiting for it. And here we are. The Old Testament. The Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 23, prophetically speaks to the Holy Spirit coming and uniting Jew and Gentile to live in the time between the Messiah's resurrection and the Messiah's return. That's why it's important. We talked about it last week, that Jesus talked about how important it was, that Jesus talked about how we should seek it, that Jesus talked about how it was gonna guide us, how it was gonna lead us, how it was going to empower us. 
And now we see the same things prophesied about all the way back in Leviticus. Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote down God's holidays and God said, this is what I mean. This is the fulfillment of everything I said. I need you to hear it this morning. I am a Pentecostal, not because I was born in a Pentecostal church. The Pentecostal church made me not want to be a Pentecostal. I'm just being honest. I'm not saying that everything is bad. Please don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm not still bitter. I'm not saying that it was all a bunch of malarkey. I'm not, I'm not mocking anyone. But my experience in the particular Pentecostal church that I grew up in, not everybody's, but mine, was so negative, it made me not want to be a Pentecostal. And it, it made me not even want to be a follower of Jesus. It is in spite of how I was raised that I am a Pentecostal today. Because I cannot square what I read in scripture any other way. I can't go to the Bible and be honest about what it says and study what it says and see anything other than I am desperately, hopelessly dependent on a Jesus and his sacrifice for my life to be, to be saved from sin. And if I want to make any sort of difference that lasts for eternity, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. It is what I see in scripture and I just cannot get away from it no matter how hard I tried as a young man. If I'm going to say that the Bible is the inspired word of God and it's how I should live my life, I see the baptism of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, pointing to the fact that I need it. And I need it until either I go to Jesus because I'm dead or he comes and gets me. That's what I see in Scripture. That's why I seek the Holy Spirit. That's why I can constantly and consistently ask God to fill me and empower me with his Holy Spirit. Not just because I need it, but the people out there who don't know Jesus need me to have that in my life. Because I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough and I'm not smart enough. Only Jesus can change a heart. The Holy Spirit will use me in that, but only if I let him. So I want to encourage you. We're going to keep talking about this for the next few weeks. I want to encourage you, just like we did last week, get in the Bible. Look at what it says. Find it in Old and New Testament. And we're going to continue to talk about walking in the Spirit day to day and what that looks like. Next week, we're going to start to get more specific. Last week, we kind of introed this thing with the words of Jesus. This week, we gave the background of everything that we look at in Acts chapter 2 from Leviticus. It's in one of the most boring books of the Bible. The Holy Spirit. It is so important for us today. And we're going to look more at it in the coming weeks. We good? Good? All right. I want to invite you back tonight at six. Come eat food with us. 
bring something. I say this every time. In, in, in our church in Lewistown, there was a, an older man who was a bachelor, as far as I know, his whole life. Um, and Ernie was every kid's favorite person at a potluck because he brought either McDonald's cheeseburgers or a bucket of KFC, right? If you can't cook, you can still make a kid's day. Um, uh, it is like every kid is nervous about a potluck. Like, I don't know if there's going to be something I like there. It's going to be all these salads. Bring a cheeseburger. Share it with a friend, right? Um, come back at 6 o'clock. Let's eat together. Let's get to know each other. Let's hang out. Jesus, you are so good. And I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, that you so specifically and cleared out, laid out paths for our lives. God, you prophesied what was coming. You showed us the way to be. And today, God, I pray that you help us to walk out of this place either more full of the Holy Spirit or seeking it than we were when we came in because we need it and the world needs it. You're good. Amen. Have an awesome Sunday afternoon. We hope to see you tonight.